going to start with, with the birth of Jesus. And there's one, there's one amazing phrase that, that this year, it kind of seems like each year when I read the Christmas story, God just kind of highlights one specific phrase or one specific section of verses. And this year, in Luke 2, verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That was last year's for me. It was good news of great joy. This year, that will be for all the people. The message translation says that it's for everyone, everywhere. And that really, that really jumped out at me this year that, that God's love, the birth of Jesus, the demonstration of God's mercy and God's grace and God's love wasn't for a select few people. It wasn't for those that had done the right things and said the right things and been born into the right family and done all those things. It was for everyone. And in fact, it was especially for those who were outside of his people. And this was, this was huge. This is for those who were lost. Do I have anyone else in here that is exceptionally talented at getting lost? Anyone? Yes. My mom. That's why I get it. I am the least directionally aware person. I, don't need, I think I just made up words. Directionally aware person that's ever lived. Like I, there's so many people I know that they can drive or ride to a place one time. And they can always get back there. I can't get back there with GPS. One of my favorite stories ever, and, and my wife and I, Dana, were talking about this. We actually think this was like before we even were engaged. So this was a ways back. We were trying to go to the plaza because as, you know, young kids from Harrisonville, that's where you go on dates. Like that's, you go big time, you go to the plaza. And we were driving, and, and this was before GPS. Thank God for GPS. And I could see the plaza. And then, and, then, then, and then I could see the plaza. And then in my rear view mirror, I could see the plaza. We just couldn't get to it. It, just was, it was like this un... You just couldn't find it. You just drove and around. And, and my wife started out very, very patiently. I, I, think, I think this is, this is the... Oh, no, no, no. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. I think, I, think this might be, I think this might be the exit you need. Okay, so I take that one. Left lane, left lane, left lane. I was in the right lane. And uh, we, we began to get into a rather uh, tense, heated discussion. We don't argue. It was a discussion of how I can never find a place on the first try. We've decided in our, in our, in our dating and then our engagement and our marriage, it's not an official date unless we have to make a U-turn. If you don't make a U-turn, it's not a date. It must have been an outing for fun, but it was not a date. A date was not had if Brian does not have to turn around somewhere. I am so bad. Like, I could just keep going on and on and on every time. Is this, is this the exit? Yes, Brian, that's the exit. Thanks, honey. Like, every time, anytime we go anywhere, like, even to her parents' house, it seems like. But then there's other times that it's not just going someplace directionally. I'm also pretty good about kind of getting lost in general in life. You just kind of stop and you look up and you're like, how in the world did I get here? And we've all been there. 
We've all been there where we're either, so many times for me it's because of my decisions, what I've decided to do, the turns I've decided to make. All of a sudden I look up, I'm like, I have no idea where I am or how I got here. So for some of you, it's decisions that were out of your hands that other people made for you. All of a sudden you look up and it's like, I don't even know where I am. And I sure as, I sure as heck don't have any idea how to get back home. And this morning, I think some of us are in that place in our walk with God. Some of us are in that place in our relationship with Jesus that, that through sometimes, sometimes fault of our own, let's be honest, and sometimes through no fault of our own, we've just kind of looked up and realized, I am not where I thought I was. I've, I've wandered a good distance from, from everyone else, and I, I feel very alone. I feel like God is not, is not around, that God does not care. And from his birth, through his ministry, to his death and resurrection, Jesus' whole point often was, I'm here for the lost. He said, those who are well have no need for a doctor. I've come for those who are unwell. And I think, this is, this is just me thinking, that the longer it is, from the time we said yes to Jesus until now, the longer that space is, sometimes we forget how lost we were. Sometimes we get really cozy being found, and I love being found. I love that God found me, and I'm cozy in my foundness. But sometimes I need to take a step back to the day before I was found to remind myself, oh, man, I was lost. I was lost and there was no way I was going to get unlost. And sometimes the longer we're in church, we, we forget what it's like to not be part of a church. What it's like to not have this community and not have this family and not have a place where we can go and connect with people and be loved and be accepted. Turn to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our day. As you're turning there, one of the most well-known verses in, in all the world is John 3.16. And it's, for God so loved the world, the entirety of it, and all the people held within. And I, and I love that it's not that he just loved them. He so loved them. And he loved them so much that he didn't just love them from a distance. He decided, I love them so much, I must do something. And that has been my challenge from God as I, as I prepare this message. Is it's great for me to say these words and it's great for me to understand this theologically and understand it intellectually, but it means absolutely nothing if I do not take steps to act it out. Because all of us are still lost, all of us are in deep trouble if God did not so love the world that he sent his only son. That whosoever, whosoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus was so good at loving the world that he got criticized for it. He was so good at it that he got criticized. Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Let that be said of my life. 
Let that be said of your life. Let that be said of this church and every ministry in it. That people notice, wow, really bad people love to go there. Great, that's what we want. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the pastors and the elders, grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. It was a condemnation. It it wasn't like, oh, look at him, he's doing so. No, it was like, what is he doing? Who does he think he is? And the first thing that struck me when I started studying this, for me, am I drawing those who don't know Jesus or am I repelling them? Because if I'm repelling, if people who don't know Jesus do not want to spend time with me, I'm acting more like the Pharisees and the Sadducees than I am like Jesus. Because Jesus had something. And, we, and, and, and in, in church world, we, we start talking about this, and we start thinking about churches, and we, we even have like this negative term for churches who are good at this, and it's, it's seeker-friendly. I'm not sure how that became a negative term. Aren't all churches supposed to be seeker-friendly? Aren't all churches supposed to be open doors for all people? But we've decided that, oh, well, they do it this way, and they do it with this kind of worship, and therefore their messages must be, you know, just kind of wishy-washy. Well, that's how they draw people. That's how they draw people is they, they lower God's truth to get people in the door. Jesus never lowered God's truth. He was the walking epitome of God's truth. And yet sinners, tax collectors, those who were always on the outcast, always on the outside, always, always, always were drawn to him. And he was criticized for it. God, I hope I'm criticized for it. I hope that, 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 that I have so many friends, so many, not, not associates, not people who know me, but friends who eat at my table, who sit in my living room and watch football games with me, who are so broken, so outside the sphere of the church that people go, what are you doing? That's when I know I'll have succeeded. And Jesus, being very Jesus-y, answers them with a story. See, this is what I think is funny is I talk about it all the time. Like, okay, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus that. Do you know what he's going to do? He's going to tell me a story that I won't understand. Right? Jesus, why'd you do it this way? Well, there's this man. No, 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 no. I want a clear-cut answer. I don't want these parables. I need to know. He's like, well, that's what I do. I'm a parable guy. So here you go. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost? Here it is. Catch this. Until he finds it. There's no stopping. That's why God's love is reckless. Because it'll never stop that he will continue to pursue you over mountains, through valleys, through rivers, through weather, through everything, until he finds you. And Jesus, in telling this story to us today, saying that should be said of us, that should be said of all of our ministries, that should be said of our church as we move into 2019, is is that we should not stop until we find that which is lost. And when he has found it, he lays it on its shoulders rejoicing. When he finds that which was lost, 
He doesn't require anything of that which was lost. There's this idea in the world that, that I've got to clean myself up before I can go to church. I've, I've invited people to church and like, oh, dude, you, you, I'm sorry, you don't, you, don't, you don't know what I was doing Friday night. You don't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I'd probably burn the place down. I can't go into church. I can't, I can't do that. You know, like I, I might, I, if I don't burn the church down, at least I'm going to catch the flames. Like I can't, I can't go into church. We've got this idea that you've got to clean yourself up before you can go to church. And it's because we as a church, if not, not us as a church, Big C Church, United States Church, we've perpetuated this idea of the Sunday best. You've got to have your best smile. Your family's got to look the best. You've got to dress the best. You've got to act the best. Everything's got to be the best. Instead of coming in real life like this morning, I about busted one of my kids' heads because they were so, mmm. Real life, real talk. Like, but we can't do that in church. And so people coming into church think, oh, I've got to got to button this top button. I got to shine my shoes. I got to make sure my shirt's, I got to, I got to do all these things that we've, we forgot this idea that no, Jesus says when I find that which is lost, I carry it home. I don't ask anything of it. It doesn't have to do anything. In fact, it'll probably fight me the whole way home. Because aren't, aren't we that way? When I find myself lost and Jesus is like, all right, let me carry you home. Like, stop it. I can walk. I'm a grown man, get off me. Don't we? Like we fight God all, tooth and nail every time to get us home and every time he carries us rejoicing. Oh, I found you again. Here we go. Let's go. Every time. Every single time. Because how many of you know that every once in a while, every now and again, you're not one of the 99? You're, you're, you're the one that God's got to leave everybody else to go find? Because in this story, we like to be the 99. We feel real good in the 99. We don't like to talk about that, that summer of 2006 when I was the one. I was over there. I'm just making up years. I don't know. Maybe for you it was like the 90s, the 80s, 60s, 50s, whatever it was. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. I love that. People he likes and some people he kind of knows. He gathers everybody, the whole cul-de-sac. Let's get all together. We're going to celebrate. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And Jesus, again, being very Jesus-y, one story is not enough. He's making a point. He wants to hammer it home. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently... Until she finds it. She loses one coin. She's flipping over furniture. She's throwing the cushions. She's searching everywhere. It's like every man in here when we cannot find the remote. We're flipping over couch cushions. We're digging through. We're finding all sorts of kids' toys that we never knew existed. And then she gets her broom. And, I, and I, in my research, I, I found that, that it wasn't a dirt floor. It was probably a stone floor. And it was dark, so she lights a lamp, and, and she, truth be told, she's probably got her eyes closed, and she's listening for it. She's hoping to hit it and hear it ting, ting, ting across the stone. And all that hit me, what is my response when I hear people who don't yet know Jesus when they're talking? What, what is my response when I hear people who, who don't think 
the same politically as me, who don't think the same religiously as me, who don't think the same at all of me, and they're together talking, what is my response when I hear that? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it agitation? Because hers was rejoicing. I have found that which was lost. Every single time that God puts someone in front of us who has yet to know him, our first job is to rejoice. Because, guys, that's our job. Our first and primary job as followers of Jesus is to bring him glory. The thing that brings him the most glory is when other people come to know him. That's our job, number one. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go. Go and do. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, same thing, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And when I studied angels and what is before them in Scripture, what is before them in Scripture is almost always God. So when it says that there is joy before the angels in heaven, the joy is found in God, that God is most joyful when another one of his created beings who has his image that he loves so much moves from being an outsider to one of his sons and daughters. That it is joy to him. And it should be joy to us. And I, I, think, I think sometimes we forget that there's supposed to be this celebration that there's supposed to be this celebration when someone who is outside becomes inside, someone who is lost becomes found. We celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and we celebrate all these things. And, and when someone comes to know Jesus, a lot of times they get a good solid golf clap. A nice, well done. Sometimes we'll light a candle for him, but then next year on that anniversary, what do we do? Whew, nothing. The most important day in their life is passed over every other year. And then if two stories weren't enough, he makes sure to bring home the point with his third one. I'm not going to read it all. I'll tell you the story as we go. But there were two sons. Father had two sons. The younger son comes to him and says, Dad, I want, I want what's coming to me. I want my inheritance. I want it now. I want to be able to do what I want with it. The father, being a better father than I, says, sure. Here you go. He divides half his property, half his belongings, half of his things, and he gives half to the youngest son. And scripture says that the young son goes to a faraway country. He gets as far away as he can. And it says he wastes all of it. And we, we have this idea that he wasted money. But we've, we neglect to realize that when, when it says that he split all of the inheritance, that he split all of the things, that the father gave the son irreplaceable family heirlooms. That he gave him things that didn't have just a monetary value. Things that had probably been passed down for 10, 12, 15 generations. And the son took them to a pawn shop and sold every single one of them. Every single thing he sold, he wasted it. He blew it. On reckless living is what scripture says. And the son, who is Jewish, goes to a Gentile farmer which is as low as you can get. And he says, do you have any work for me? And the Gentile farmer, probably thinking it very odd that a Jewish man would come to him, says, I have one job. It's all I got. 
I've got the pigs. And for a Jewish man, it couldn't get any worse. I'm working for a Gentile, and I'm taking care of the animal that is most unclean to me. He was as low as he could get. And there's a little phrase in there. It says, and no one gave him anything. And he's with the pigs. And he has deserted everything that he's ever known. And it hits him. He realizes that even the servants in my father's house have food to eat. And he makes a plan. You guys know when you, like when you need to go ask your parents for something or you messed up and, or you need to go talk to your boss, you formulate the plan of how the conversation's going to go. That's what he does. He says, I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to tell him, I have sinned against you and against God. I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just let me be your servant. And so he starts the long walk home. Scene change. In my brain, I don't know why, but I, I see the, the father sitting on the front porch of the house. I don't know why. That's just where my brain goes. Wherever you see, when you think of, of a father with a, with a farm and he's sitting outside, or he's outside, whatever you see, to me he's on the porch. And then all of a sudden, as far as he can see, he sees his son. And it struck me this time reading it. I've read this. This is one of my favorite stories. In fact, this, I, I challenge students all the time, and I'll challenge you guys that everyone, every believer should have a, a life verse or a life chapter that defines what God has called you to be. Luke 15 is mine. Free information. But it hit me this time. This father, he had a farm to run. He had things to do. What were the chances that that day, at that time, he happened to be looking down the road. And it hit me. The only thing he did from the time his son left till the time he saw him on the horizon was sit and wait. He's coming, he's coming home today. I know it. I know it. Today he's coming home. He's coming home today. His wife, honey, it's time to go to bed. Okay. The next morning, back on that front porch. Today. Today's the day. Today, I, know he's, I know he's coming home today. We have no idea how long he was gone. No idea. But to me, every day, every day, that father is looking over the horizon going, it's today. It's today. I know it. And then when it is, the first thing he does is he runs to his son. We have to understand Jewish men do not run. That's why I, I relate greatly to Jewish men. They did not run. It was beneath them. Makes perfect sense. I haven't found it biblically, but it makes sense. And he probably, again, we have to understand, he was wearing like a long robe dress sort of thing, okay? Like, again, he hiked it up, and he's running. And he's running with, and you know, you know when you watch people who don't run, run? Like, yeah, he's running. And here's why. Here's why. One, because for the first time he finally sees his son. But two, because that son has brought shame and dishonor on the family and on the village. And the people in that village had every right to stone him. And he's running, no, no, no. If you're going to stone him, you're going to stone me. And that's why it says that he hugs him. The first thing he does is he hugs his son. It is, yes, love, but it is also protection. If you're going to stone this one, I don't care what he's done. He is mine. He is mine. You will stone me too. 
What an amazing picture of the cross. Jesus is already telling people what's going to happen. I will take it for you. Don't worry. And it says when he hugged him, the Greek word there says he concreted himself to him. Like it wasn't like a bro hug, like a too quick pat on the back. This was, I haven't seen you in years and I've missed you every second you've been gone and I could not wait any longer for you to get here. I have concreted myself to you. You do know that every time that you turn back to God, boom, concreted. Every single time. And the son, I, feel, I think he like pries himself off of his dad. Dad, dad, I got, stop it, stop it, dad. And he gives his spiel. Dad, I'm not, I have sinned against you and I've sinned against God. I'm not even worthy to be your son. Let me be your servant. And I love the father's response. He turns his back on his son. Get the, get the cow, the big one. The big one we've been feeding, get him. Slaughter him, I want fillets and I want steaks. Inch thick, no, two inch. If we can do two inch, do two inch thick. You get the robe. Yes, the good one, mine. Yes, with the gold and the tassels. Yes, bring it, bring it. And the ring, the big one with the gold and the diamonds and the ruby in the middle. No, not that one, that one's cheap. Get the good one, get the good one. And the shoes, get him some new Jordans, get him the new Jordans, not the old ones. Oh, he likes retro. Get him the retro Jordans, get him the ones he wants, bring him here. My son is alive. That's the God we serve. He doesn't even respond to his son's nonsense. Father, I've sinned. Don't care. Get the stuff. We're having a party. It's time to do it. My son, and here it is, ready? Who was dead is now alive. Jesus didn't come to make anybody who was bad good. It's a waste of his death. He came to make those who are dead alive. Your goodness will come later. But it's not, oh, you got to stop doing all this stuff. You got to stop doing all this stuff. At the beginning, he doesn't care. You are my son. Let's get you the best. And so he brings him home and he throws a party. That's why why me and and God, we, we get along. Good food, new clothes, new shoes, some jewelry. I get it. And we switch scenes again. The older brother, who is out diligently working in the field, comes in. Interesting, he has no idea what's going on. So he asks one of the servants, hey, uh, what's happening down there? And the servant, very excited, says, your brother who was lost, who was dead, has come home. Your father has thrown a party. Interesting. Whole another message for a whole other time. Interesting that the father's house was having a celebration, was having a party so loud that others could hear it when someone came back to the Father. Interesting side note, just some food for thought. That the Father's house was having a party, celebrating, wasting money and resources when someone who was dead is back to life. And the son says, I'm not, I'm not going in there. I'm not doing it. So you notice, remember, the father ran to the, the younger son. He leaves the party and comes out to the older son. He comes to both. 
and the son. Starts with this word, ready? All my dads, you ready? Look. How many dads, on a scale of one to you're going to need a new child, would handle look? Don't you tell me to look. I do the looking around here. You don't look. I've been looking longer than you've been alive. I've seen things you've never seen before. You don't tell me to look, young man. He says, look. This, you were doing this for him who brought disgrace on your family, who took everything you need. Oh, and by the way, what he wasted money on was prostitutes. Just so you should know. Just thought you should know, dad. What are we doing? You, you, you never gave me any of this so that I could hang out with my friends. Never once. You didn't give me any of this so that I could party with my friends. And the dad, the father, responds with his identity. He says, son. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't reprimand him. He doesn't chastise him. He simply says, son, this is right. This celebration is right. Because your brother, who was dead, is alive. Who was lost, is found. That's all we get. There's no closure on this story. You don't know how the, the older brother and the younger brother, if they ever reconciled, you don't know. Because that's not the point of the story. The whole point of the story is to see God's heart for that which is lost. To see God's heart that he will leave this group of people and he's going to leave them with others, other shepherds and he's going to have to pay them. So he's going to use his resources and he's going to go and he's going to find you. And he's going to, find, he's going to keep searching until he finds you and then he's going to carry you home. And then he's going to listen for you. And the moment he hears you, he's going to be excited that he has found you. And then he's going to bring a group of people together, some he knows and some he loves. And he's going to bring them together and we're going to have a party. And if you're already a son and you're walking away, or you have walked away, the moment you turn back, you don't need an apology. You don't need, because one, the Father already knows. And I said it two weeks ago that Scripture says that God remembers our sins no more, and he proves it in this story. The son who deserved nothing, who deserved nothing of what he got, got everything. And the older son, the older son, the father said, you, you were always with me. Catch this, catch this. The, the father tells the older son, you were always with me. That that is the ultimate prize. That is the ultimate reward. Once we say yes to Jesus, he's always with us. He'll never leave. He'll never forsake. He'll never go anywhere. And the moment we return, he celebrates. And here's the other part I realized. Every single one of us, every single day, is the prodigal. Because you know what it takes to be the prodigal? One sin. One sin. 
And all of a sudden we're like, oh, I'm with the pigs again. Come on. And we turn around. And in the story, it, to me, it seems like it's a long time. But to God, the, the pigs are here and his house is here. Like, you didn't really go that far. In fact, I brought the farm with you. Like, I came with you. And the part that Jesus is really trying to get us to understand, trying to get the crowd to understand, is, is guys, this is, this is what I, I want from you. I don't, want you to be, I don't want you to be the older brother who stays at home. In fact, I want you to be the older brother that when the younger brother left, the older brother goes and finds him. Because that's the point of the first two stories is Jesus says, I'll come find you. And in the third, you're like, wait a minute, no one went for the, no one went for the brother. Why did no one go for the brother? And he's comparing and contrasting. And Jesus is saying, I'm not like that older brother. I, I'm, I'm the brother who's going to come find you. And in the pigs, I'll say, Let, let's, let's come home. I'll carry you. You look tired. Some of you this morning, you're real tired. Some of you this morning, you are real tired and you have been running for a real long time. And some of you have been found once, but, but you're running and you're running real hard and real fast. And, and Jesus, he runs. He's, he's with you. Jogging right next to you. Oh, can we turn around? Ready to come home? You look over like, you've never been here. And he's like, I've, I've, I've been here the whole time. You just didn't look to the side. You were focusing on running. You didn't look to the side. I've been here the whole time. Stop. Let's rejoice. I promise dad's got a party when we get home. I promise. He's going to get everyone together and we're going to celebrate. And you don't have to walk home. I'll carry you. Scripture says that one of our goals is that we are to grow into the head, which is Christ, which means that our goal is to become more Christ-like, which means every single person in our sphere of influence should have the same certainty in their life that we have in ours, except that when they start running, we start running with them. You're like, bro, you can run as far as you want. I'm just going to keep running with you. And the moment you're ready to stop, I'll carry you back home. You're never too far from God. So my hope this morning, a prayer this morning, is that maybe you feel like you're that sheep that's wandered and you're long gone. God's still looking. Yeah, I never stop. And I'm sorry. Let me say this. I'm going to own this. I'm sorry that myself, maybe some other people in this church, that we haven't been looking as hard as we should have. Maybe you're the prodigal. You were once part of the family and you were in the family and everything was cool, but, but you've wandered, you've walked. Again, I apologize for myself, maybe some people in the church that we didn't come find you, but you're here today. And in the same way that God saw his son, he sees you and he takes off running to you, to embrace you, to hold you to make sure that you know that you are wanted, you are welcome, you are found, and you are back alive. Maybe you're the older brother. You've never gone anywhere, but you're real tired of hearing vo uh, messages. You're real tired of hearing people talk about the loss all the time, and you need to be reminded that you have the greatest gift that anyone could ever be given. You have God. And you've always had him.